0: Today on Daily Hope with Pastor Rick Warren, we continue in our riveting journey through the series, The Invisible War. In it, we'll explore the unseen world of good and evil and see how it impacts our day-to-day existence. Join us for eye-opening biblical insights into the spiritual dimensions that influence our lives in ways we never imagined. Right now, here's Pastor Rick Warren with part one of a message called Set Free From Me.
1: The Bible teaches that you have three enemies that are trying to mess up your life. They want to defeat your family. They want to defeat your life. They want to steal your soul. They want to keep you from having joy and purpose and meaning here in life. And these three enemies come against you. It's kind of triple team and, uh, you know, tag team a wrestling or, you know, double team, takedown, things like that. And the Bible calls these three enemies that you have the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world comes around you, Satan comes against you, and the battle with you is within you. And this summer, we're going to go in detail into each of these three enemies, because if you don't know who the enemy is, you can never win the battle, and you're going to go through life defeated most of your life. Now, we're beginning with your biggest enemy, and your biggest enemy is not Satan. It's not the world, it's you. You are your biggest problem. And as I said last week, I said, you know, when you wanna run away from your problems, you wanna to go to Cancun, the problem is you take you with you. And, and all of that internal stuff is inside you. Now, what we looked at last week as we began studying the battle inside you, is that you really do have two natures, if you are a believer. You have your old nature, which wants to do what's fun, which wants to do what's convenient. Not not necessarily the right thing, the best thing, or even what's good for you. A lot of things you wanna do are actually self-destructive to you. And you know for a certain fact that there are things you know would be good for you, be healthy for you, and you don't do them. And you know that there are things that are bad for you, that are unhealthy for you, that mess up your life, and you still do them anyway. And last week we looked at this great testimony of Romans chapter seven where Paul says, you know what, I can't figure myself out. All my best intentions aren't good enough. He says, I wanna do the right thing, but I don't. And I don't wanna do the wrong thing, but I do. And that is the story of you. And it is the story of me. You know far more than you're actually doing. If you were actually able to practice all the good things you know to do, you'd be a lot more successful in life. But it's not just knowing it, it's getting yourself to do it. And there's this battle because we have a natural resistance inside of us that wants to do what's easy, what's convenient, what's quick, rather than what's right and what's best. In fact, our entire nation is in a financial crisis because of this tendency of human nature to have an inability to delay gratification we want it and we want it now whether we can afford it or not so we go out and we charge it even though we can't afford it all because the inability of buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like and thinking we can have it all let me just tell you right now you can't have it all That is a myth that advertisers will tell you. You can't have it all. Life is about choices. You have to make choices in life and go, okay, what's the best for me? What's right for me? What does God want for me? And so best intentions are not good enough. And the truth is the battle for you inside you, much of your unhappiness, in fact, I would say it this way, most of your unhappiness in life Most of your unhappiness in life is because you listen to you instead of God. And when you do that, you you tell yourself stuff all the time that isn't true. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's accurate, doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's correct. A lot of things you think of are, are not right, they're not correct. A lot of things I think of aren't right aren't correct. In fact a lot of things I think are actually lying to myself, rationalizing, where we tell rational lies to ourselves. Now what I want us to do this weekend is look at how to overcome the six weapons of self-destruction. Now you, you've heard of the weapons of mass destruction, but I want to talk to you about what the Bible teaches about the weapons of self-destruction there are things that you do to yourself all the time that damage you that hurt you that that cause you to self-destruct that cause you enormous stress enormous pain uh, enormous uh, uh, unhappiness and uh, unneeded pressure in your life and then I'm gonna show you from God's word in Romans chapter eight, how the Bible tells us that the spirit of God living within you can give you the antidote to every one of these weapons. Now before we even get into the text, I want you to write these seven things down. It's not on your outline, so you're just gonna to have to write it somewhere, scribble it over on the side. These are the seven weapons of self-destruction. You can talk to any psychologist and they'll tell you that these are the seven things that mess up people's lives more than anything else. And we're gonna look at the cure for these weapons of self-destruction. The first weapon of self-destruction is shame. Shame. You cannot be happy and feel ashamed at the same time. When you feel ashamed, when you feel guilty, when you feel regrets, that just robs all your happiness. God doesn't want you to walk around feeling guilty. God doesn't want you walking around feeling ashamed. God doesn't want you walking around with regrets. In fact, that's why he sent Jesus on, on the cross, to die for all of your sins. But shame is the, is the first, number one destroyer of happiness. The second weapon of self-destruction is uncontrolled thoughts if you don't learn how to control your thoughts your thoughts will ruin your life because you say to stuff to yourself that causes unhappiness causes grief causes pressure you must learn how to control your thoughts the third weapon of self-destruction is compulsions compulsions are those inner drives inner desires you can call them lusts, you can call them habits, you can call them impulses, but there are those things in your life where you feel like, I felt like I just had to do it. Even though you knew it was wrong, I just had to do it. And those compulsions, you gotta learn how to deal with those and how to fight that weapon of self-destruction. Because if you do things by your compulsions, you'll mess up your life. The fourth weapon of self-destruction is fear. And fear is an enormous destroyer of happiness, of potential, of God's purpose for your life. It will limit your life. You've got to learn how to master your fears. The fifth weapon of self-destruction is hopelessness. Hopelessness keeps you from keeping on. When you start to feel hopeless about anything, you get discouraged and want to give up. If you feel hopeless about your marriage, if you feel hopeless about ever getting married, if you feel hopeless about your finances or you feel hopeless about your health hopelessness is a self-destructive weapon that you use on you and when you turn it inward it robs you of god's plan for your life number six bitterness is a huge weapon of self-destruction because life is unfair and we don't all get the same thing and life is broken and we're stuck and, and some people get better than you, and you get jealous, and you get envious, and some people hurt you. You can either get better or bitter. And bitterness is a cancer that will eat you alive, and it will, it will, it's a poison that will eat you on the inside. You never hurt other people with your bitterness like you hurt yourself. You always hurt you the most. It is a self-destructive emotion. There is no value to bitterness in your life. There's no value to holding on to a grudge. All it does is make you miserable. And the seventh weapon of self-destruction is insecurity. You gotta deal with this one. Because if you don't learn how to deal with insecurity in your life, it's gonna cause you to do foolish things. When you're insecure and you're trying to show everybody else that you're very confident, you'll say stupid things. You'll do stupid things. You'll pose. And and, and the only people impressed by posers are other posers. Okay? Everybody sees through it. The only people who are impressed by fakes are other fakes. So, you know, when you're insecure, you can't hide it, you have to deal with it. Now, the classic passage on dealing with these weapons of self destruction is Romans 7 and Romans 8. But Romans seven explains what these seven things do in your life, and Romans eight gives us the answer. Now at the end of Romans seven, Paul says this. Look up here on the screen. He's, he's outlined the battle going on inside himself, and he says, what a miserable person I am. Because I'm miserable. You know, as I said, all, all those things I want to do that I know are good, I end up not doing. And all those things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And I'm really messing up my life. What a miserable person I am. I've tried everything and nothing helps. He says, who will free me from this life dominated by sin? Now, he, don't, he doesn't say what will free me, because the answer to you, the, the problem inside you the mess ups in your life that you'd like to change? The answer is not a pill, it's not a program, it's not a book, it's not a tape, it's not a seminar, it's not hypnosis. The answer is a person. It is Jesus Christ and His Spirit inside you. And Romans 8 is the answer to Romans 7 that the Spirit of God inside you gives you the antidote to all seven of these negative emotions. Now, What I want us to look at this weekend is, how can I be free from me? How can I be set free from me? And the way we're going to look at this is the the truths of Romans 8, I have put them in a practical way of listing seven mental habits that you need to do that will help you apply the truth of Romans chapter 8. And so we're going to look at these seven mental habits that explain the great truths of Romans 8. Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. In my opinion, it's the greatest chapter. They once did a study of of, uh, Bible scholars and said, if you could only have one chapter of the Bible and you're on a desert island, which one would you take? And about 90% of them said, I'd take Romans 8. So this is a very strong passage. You need to take a lot of notes today. Number one, the first step in being set free from me is this, I must remind myself daily what Jesus did for me. That's the starting point. I gotta remind myself every day of what Jesus did for me. What is salvation? What are the benefits of it? You see, we have a lot of people who are saved who don't act like it. They run around all the time filled with shame and uncontrolled thoughts and compulsions and fear and bitterness and insecurity. And they're believers, but they're not set free from me. And the first step is you've got to remind yourself what Jesus actually did for you. And this is how the Holy Spirit sets me free from shame. Let's look at these verses, Romans 8, 1 to 4. First he says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And let me stop there before we go any further. No condemnation means God doesn't judge you for all the things you've done wrong if you've trusted Christ because Jesus took all that judgment on the cross. He doesn't have to judge you because Jesus was judged. He doesn't have to condemn you because Jesus took your condemnation. He took your rap, he paid your penalty, he did your time for you. Now, the Bible says that if I'm a believer, I belong to Christ, look at that verse, there is no condemnation for those who belong to christ jesus circle the phrase belong to christ jesus this whole passage is talking about people who've given their life to jesus this doesn't apply to you if you haven't made that decision yet but if you've received christ into your life the bible says you're under no condemnation that means god doesn't get mad at you when you sin Did you hear that? God does not get mad at you when you sin if you belong to Jesus Christ because he's already taken the payment. Now notice, it doesn't say that after I become a Christian, I won't sin, you're still gonna sin. It doesn't say I'm not gonna make mistakes, you're still gonna make mistakes. It doesn't say I'm not gonna fail and look stupid, you're gonna fail and look stupid. It just says you're under no condemnation. In other words, you don't have to walk around with shame. You don't have to walk around with guilt because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he not only paid for all of the sins you committed last week, last year, and your entire life, He committed; he's already paid for the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow, next week, and the rest of your life. They're already paid for. That's good news. That is good news. No condemnation. That means there is no reason for a Christian to walk around in shame because I stop and I remind myself, Jesus paid for all of my sins. He already knew before I was born every sin I was gonna do, and he paid for it. Now the next part of that verse says, for the power of the life-giving spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. Now what does that verse mean? The second thing I remember is that because I'm a believer and I have Jesus, I have a new power in my life greater than willpower. You see, before you became a Christian, the only thing you had to use against your bad habits was sheer willpower. And how long does that work? Not very long. He says, now there's a new power in you. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are still simply relying on willpower to change. They've never figured out how to connect into spiritual power into the power of the Holy Spirit, into the power of Jesus inside you. He says, there's a new power in you. There's a new sheriff in town. And when you wanna change things in your life, it's not just, if it's to be, it's up to me. It's not just um, my own willpower. It is God's power in me. I have been given a power greater than willpower. We're gonna look at this more in the the next verses. Then, the next thing it says, the law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature now laws keeping god's laws cannot save you guy says well i know i'm going to heaven you say how do you know he says, because i i keep the 10 commandments i say name them you don't not only not keep the 10 commandments you couldn't even name all of them if i asked you to stand up right now you couldn't even how can you keep them if you don't even know them all by the way, keeping laws never works. Why, it says, because of our sinful nature. Laws simply work on outside behavior, they don't work on inside change. They don't change you on the inside. For instance, if I were to bring a, a pig out here, a big sow that had been rolling around in the mud and the dirt and eating garbage, and, and, and it stinks to high heaven and I'd say, what is this? You'd say, it's a pig. Now, I take that pig backstage and I run it through a couple of car washes, and then I put it in a bathtub, and and I have bath salts and perfumed soap suds, and, and I get it all cleaned up, and I brush the, the, the you know their teeth, the, the 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 pig's teeth, and and then I, I sprinkle some foo foo juice on it, you know, some <laughs> corral number five, you know, that would be appropriate for a pig, okay. And, and I and I, I rub it down with oil of Olay, so its skin is just silky, silky soft. And then I tie a ribbon around its neck and I put a bonnet on it, and I and I, I put some eyeshadow and fake eyelashes on this pig. And and I put a dress on it, and then I put some lipstick on this pig. And I bring this pig out and I say, now what is it? Still a pig. Okay? You may have spiffed up the outside, but the nature has remained unchanged. And this is what happens with self-help programs, is that we spiff up the outside, and we, by sheer willpower, say, I'm gonna take a bath. I'm gonna get on some new clothes. I'm gonna change my behavior. And all the outside looks different, but inside it's still the same nature. If you're gonna have radical change, transforming change in your life, it's gotta change your nature, and only God can do that. No self-help program can change your heart, which, by the way, is why I'm not a politician. I have zero faith in politics or laws to change human behavior. Why? Because it's just fixing the outside. You can pass a law that says, nobody will be a bigot or a racist. Is that gonna change anybody's heart? No. Only Jesus can change that heart. And I have seen people come to Christ and they change from a racist into a compassionate person and from a bigot into a loving person. Only Jesus can change that. If I thought you could change human behavior by laws, I'd be a politician. But there's no track record that it actually changes people. Only God can change the inside. Which, by the way, is why we don't spend so much time promoting all political laws. You know, there are some Christians who think they're gonna make the world a better place just by creating a law. Well, people just break it. I mean, they want a a law against this sin and 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 a law against this sin. And, and, and they think that's going to change people. No, people are just going to break the law. You do. God has given all kinds of laws in his word, and you don't obey those. And you break them all the time. You don't expect somebody to act like a believer until he is one. Because he doesn't have the power to change. He doesn't have the ability to change. So passing a law that says everybody's gonna be moral or everybody's gonna do this, that doesn't change, that's 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 cleaning up the pig. It doesn't change our nature. God put into effect, notice here, so God knew that laws couldn't save us, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours is sinful, and God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. In other words, he gave us the power to make those changes, to forgive us and to change us. And then it said he did this, Jesus died on the cross, so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us. Circle the phrase for us. What is he saying there? That Jesus not only paid for all your sins, he did all the right things for you those of us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. In other words, if you were to die tonight and you were to go stand before God in heaven and God were to say to you, did you keep all my laws? What your answer is, is no, but he did and you point to Jesus. And you get in on Jesus' righteousness. You get into heaven not because you're a good person, because you kept 100% of God's immutable laws. No, you you don't get it, because nobody's done that. But Jesus did, and it says there, Jesus not only paid for your sins, he did all the good things, and so his righteousness is imputed to us. It is given to us. I didn't do good on earth, but he did, and God says, all right, friend of Jesus, come on in. You get a pass. That's called grace. That's called grace. You put your trust in my son. You trusted what I sent him to do for you. Do you understand what Jesus Christ did for you? That's why when we sing that song, you know, I'm alive because of what Jesus did for me. It's all because of his love. That's true.
0: You're listening to Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. We're so happy you've chosen to study along with us today. Why is everything in life so hard? Why does the right thing often feel like a battle? It's because every day there's a spiritual war raging all around you. Here's Pastor Rick to tell you more.
1: You know, we all face temptations every day. It's a spiritual battle that takes place inside us, and it makes us vulnerable, particularly if we don't know how to fight it. To overcome temptation is absolutely essential that you know the tactics that Satan uses to trip us up. And it's vital to learn the biblical defenses that God gives us. He has told us in his word how to handle and how to manage the attacks of Satan. Now, In order to help you learn how to respond to the predictable patterns that Satan uses to tempt you, I've created a study kit called The Invisible War, Winning the Battle of Temptation. This kit, The Invisible War, Winning the Battle of Temptation, includes a DVD with seven different sessions and a simple booklet that'll help you learn how to overcome and defeat temptation in your life. You really need this. In the series, I will teach you the three kinds of temptation, God's antidote to temptation, and even how to avoid temptation in the first place. It is a study guide that you can use by yourself, but you'll actually get more out of it if you'll gather a small group of friends together and study it together as a small group. Now, I want to send you the Invisible War Winning the Battle for Temptation Study Kit as my gift to say thanks for your support of daily hope with your financial gift. You know, we can't do this without you. And your generosity helps us take the hope of Christ into places all around the world and now to places that have no Bible,
0: no believer, and no body of Christ. Go to PastorRick.com right now to get your copy. That's PastorRick.com. Or you can just text the word HOPE to 800-600-5004. That's the word hope to 800-600-5004. And thanks so much for your support. Be sure to join us next time as we look into God's word for our daily hope. This program is sponsored by Pastor Rick's Daily Hope and your generous financial support.